You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We, uh, we have this little fishing boat at our house. It's, uh, it's not very large. It's only eight feet long, and it has two seats and, and a little trolling motor. And, um, and I've never really been a fisherman. However, sometimes people invite me to go fishing, and when they do, I usually go and I just tell them up front, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm glad to, to, to learn. And so kind of by going with friends, I've, I've kind of found that fishing is, is somewhat relaxing. And, and when you're in that little boat, it seems like that you kind of pay attention to that line and you tend to relax and block out almost everything. That's what happens with me. In fact, I even forget sometimes where I'm at and I look up and because the Oklahoma wind seems to blow pretty regularly... Um, I've drifted quite a ways away from where I started. And sometimes I look up and I think to myself, my goodness, look, look how far I drifted without even noticing it. The, the idea of drifting is typically not, not a positive word. It, it typically has negative connotations. So, so when you look up the word drifter in the dictionary, it talks about a person who is aimless, without purpose, who moves from place to place, from job to job. I don't know, I'm just a drifter. And so when you think about the word drifting, it, it sometimes has this aimless connotation. According to the book of Hebrews, it is possible to drift in regard to our relationship with God. According to the Bible, drifting as a Christian is a possibility. And I guess I wonder this morning if there's somebody that would say, Rick, maybe I've drifted some. When I think about my journey with God, I, I used to be way up, way up there. But, but not anymore. I'm... I'm way back here. And it tends to manifest itself in, in my behavior. Like um, I used to pray a pretty good regular prayer life. But I don't pray like I used to pray. Or maybe I used to read my Bible with urgency. And I took notes and I journaled. But I don't really study the Bible like I used to. That was, that was then. That was, that was a while back. That's not really how I am anymore. There used to be really good accountability in my life. I, I used to study God's Word with people and pray with people and pray for people and hold them accountable. And they held me accountable. But that's not really the way it is anymore. There was a day in my life when my heart was, my heart was all in. But I don't know. It seems like over time. All that's kind of changed. And, and when I can tell you about what it used to be like in my journey with God, it's not like that now. And so when you open the book of Hebrews, the writer says these words. Be careful and pay attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Pay, pay the most careful attention to everything that you've heard. 
so that you do not drift in your journey with God. So let me, let me take you to those words in the book of Hebrews. You want to grab a Bible this morning? It's one of those mornings, and I know I say this on occasion, not every week, but I think it's one of those mornings that you might want to have a Bible open in your lap for a while. And so even after we finish reading the scripture, you may want to just leave the Bible open. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you might want to grab one out of the rack in front of you. And open it with me to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading with verse 1. I think sometimes it's really important to ask ourselves before we start reading the passage of Scripture. So, so why did the person who wrote this write these words to these people? In our minds, the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews had Jesus whipped. The Jews put Jesus on the cross. And I think what we forget to realize is many Jews followed Jesus. Many Jews followed Jesus. You understand the disciples were Jewish young men. And so what happened over time... You remember after the resurrection, the the church just began to explode in growth. But along the way, there were some of these Jewish Christians who were tempted to go back to Judaism. And so the writer writes these words to say to the Jewish Christians, do not commit apostasy, apostasy back to Judaism. Do not leave the gospel and go back to the way you used to live. And so that's, that's really the basis for, for the book to begin with. So let me, let me take you to these words, okay? Here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. We, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, what you read in the next few verses is the rationale. And here's what he says. For if the message spoken by angels... Was binding. Do you know what that message is that he's talking about? The message spoken by angels? If the message that was spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and every disobedience received its just punishment, then how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And and every word that I read to you this morning, I think we almost have to spend some time talking about. So this is God's word for us today and may God bless His word this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I remember having a very close friend as a pastor. He was He was a lot younger than me. And um, we had gotten to know each other pretty well. And Annette had become good friends with his wife. And one morning, his wife stumbled across some information that he had carelessly left around. Which revealed to her that he was living his life in an affair with another woman. Um... She woke him up from his sleep with this evidence. They, they had a half hour of 
emotional breakdown. And then she picked up the phone and she called Annette, my wife. And she told her what was going on. I, I, I called him that day only an hour or two later and said, I, I, I really want us to sit down and talk. I, I really need to, to talk to you. And he seemed to be very willing to do so. We, we talked that, that day and we talked over the next few weeks and months and even years about what happened. And, and what I realized is that when things like that happen to people, they, they don't one morning wake up and just say to themselves, I think today I am going to break the heart of the person who loves me more than anybody else in the world. I think today I'm going to figure out a way to offend God to the greatest degree I've ever offended Him. Today I think I'm going to dream up some blatant, awful sin and just go out and commit it. I I don't think that's the case. I think more the case is this, that someone wakes up one morning and says to themselves, how in the world did I ever let myself get to this place? How did I get here? When I used to be there, how, how in the world did I ever let myself get to this point? And to borrow the language from the Hebrew writer this morning, I think it's more of a drifting. I think it's kind of decisions that seem minute or small, not life changes, not earth shaking, but they're going in the wrong directions and they build on larger decisions. And finally, a person finds themselves saying things they should never say and doing things they should never do. And they wake up one day and say to themselves, what in the world has happened to me? How did I, how did I ever get to this place? And I think it's a matter of just drifting. And so the Hebrew writer says, we really have to pay attention to everything that we've heard, because if we don't pay attention, we may find ourselves drifting someday. And the language he uses is that we may drift away. There, there are two important words in, in, that, in that verse that I just quoted to you. And one has to do with paying attention and the other has to do with drifting. And both of them are used in many ways, but both of them have a nautical sense. And when you put the two of them together, the vision that you have or the understanding that you have is something like a ship or a vessel or a boat that is aimlessly drifting and nobody is determining its course and it's going to drift into destruction. That's the idea that you have. I I remember years ago hearing James Dobson tell this story about about this new mother who had this little baby that was only maybe a couple of months old and and also had had a little boy who was five years old and so I guess she wasn't a new mother but I think you got where I'm going so she's in the living room and the baby's on a blanket and the little boy is playing and she says I got to go to the laundry room and it's your job to watch the baby but remember we don't pick up the baby because you could hurt her she's really small this is not a doll not a toy So you can't pick her up, whatever you do, okay? But you watch her and I'll be right back. And she goes to the laundry room but loses rather track of time. And she's in the laundry room 
much longer than she should have been. And she comes back into the living room and there is no baby and no little boy. And so she goes looking down the hall, all the way to the end of the hall, to his room. And there he is on the floor playing and the little baby beside him. And she scolds him and says, I told you, you cannot pick her up. You will hurt her. This is not a doll. This is a baby. You cannot carry her. And he says, Mommy, I didn't carry her. And she says, well, then how did she get all the way from the living room, down the hall and into your bedroom? And with a smile on his face, expecting his mother to be pleased, he said, I rolled her. (laughs) I love this story. It makes me laugh because it gives me this idea, this understanding of, well, which is worse? How traumatic was it for the little baby to be rolled all the way down the hall into the room? And, and that's really where Paul is going in this conversation. It's a matter of what is worse. Or how much worse could this be? And so let me think with you about that idea of what is worse for a few minutes, okay? Um, we, we find in the first sentence the word therefore. The little joke that we use sometimes is that anytime you find the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look and see what it's there for. And so he says, let's pay the most careful attention therefore. To what we have heard. And so therefore always points to what has been stated previously. Well, we're in the second chapter of Hebrews. Let me just tell you, it's about chapter 1. There's no other place you can go with this. And so in the first chapter of Hebrews, he spends almost the entire chapter talking about the fact that Jesus is superior to angels. Now, if I'm in your mind, you're probably going, and what does that have to do with drifting away? That's really what he does. He talks about the fact that Jesus is superior to angels. Here's here's the way he says it. He says, so to which of the angels did did God ever say, "Um, you are my son? Or to which of the angels did God ever say, I will be his father? Or to which of the angels did God ever say, your kingdom will be forever and ever? Or to which of the angels did God ever say, you laid the foundations of the world and the heavens are the works of your hands? And the answer is implied. He never said that to any angels. He only said that in regard to the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus. And so he's making the case that Jesus is greater than the angels. But if you notice when I read to you from the passage a moment ago, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Because if the message that was delivered by angels is binding, what message was delivered by angels? If you go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says what embodies Jewish belief, what they live their lives believing. And that is very simply these words that we know that the law was given to Moses by angels. Once in a while, I'll sit down with somebody and they will say to me, Rick, I blew it. I've sinned. While I was in the middle of it, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was sin. When it was over, I knew I'd sinned. I consciously crossed the line. 
I mean, if the line was drawn, I stepped over it. Knowingly, I stepped over it. Also, there are times when I meet with people and I say to them, you know this is sin, right? You know this is wrong, right? I mean, you know this is, this is not right. I mean, you know in your heart what you're doing is sin in the eyes of God. And it's almost as if they turn a deaf ear to me. And they're not hearing it. Both of these ideas are communicated when the writer says that every violation and every disobedience, it's the concept of crossing the line and it's a concept of just turning a deaf ear to God. We know that every violation and every disobedience has its just punishment. So this message that was given through angels to Moses, the law, if every time somebody stepped across the line, or if every time somebody turned a deaf ear, they were punished by God, then you tell me how you and I are going to escape if we neglect the salvation that was brought to us through Jesus Christ. He's really talking about two revelations. The revelation that came through the angels to Moses and the revelation that comes to us through Jesus, God's own Son. And so if people were punished for neglecting the law that came through angels, how much worse is it if we neglect the gospel that was given to us through God's own Son, Jesus Christ Himself? What he's saying is, how in the world Is God going to deal with you? If you just let yourself drift away. After you've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for the Jewish Christians it was going back to Judaism. If you're ever tempted to drift, what's it going back to for you? If you're ever tempted to drift, what are you tempted to drift back to? Um, I got a feeling when a person finds himself drifting... One of, one of their initial temptations is just kind of to say, um, sometimes I, I don't know for sure, you know, what I believe about Jesus. And uh, how do you know truth today in a world where everybody's trying to tell you the truth? And, and so what the writer says is simply this. He says, um, well, he says, we, we know it's the truth because... It was announced by the Lord Himself, and then many people who heard Him witnessed what He said. And we've talked to them. But, but, but then He gives this other rationale, and He says, um, we, we had someone testify that it's the truth. So you kind of get this image of a courtroom, and, and you say, what happened in the courtroom? Well, they brought this person on the stand, and He testified, and He validated that the person was telling the truth. So, so I want to take a couple of minutes and talk to you about that concept, okay? 
Um, do, do you remember when Jesus was with his mom in Cana of Galilee and she gets an invitation to a wedding? And whoever's inviting her to a wedding says, well, bring Jesus. Well, go ahead and bring his disciples too. And so Jesus is at a wedding with his mom and his disciples. And his mother comes to him and says, oh my goodness, Jesus, you are not going to believe what has happened to this poor family. They have run out of wine. And so Jesus looks at his mother and I kind of wonder how they were communicating. I can't help but do that. Did he have a grin on his face? Did he say to his mother... And why do you concern me with this, Mom? You know my time has not come yet. Come on. And, and Jesus' mother, here's her response. She looks at the servants and she says, just do what he tells you to do. And you kind of wonder if she's kind of thinking, and he knows she's thinking, you know Joseph is not your biological father. You know you were conceived by the Holy Spirit. I know what you're capable of. Why don't you just give this poor family a hand, okay? And so Jesus says to the servants about these water jugs, six of them that would hold 20 to 30 gallons, go fill them with water. And then Jesus says, draw some of the water out and take it to the master of the banquet. He had turned the water into wine. And so when they take it to the master of the banquet, he takes a drink and he calls the bridegroom to the side and he says, hey, let me talk to you for a minute. He says, I don't know what you're up to here, but usually people serve their best wine first. And then after people have had too much to drink, they bring out the cheap stuff. You're doing the opposite. This is the better wine. And then here's what John says. As he writes the gospel, this is the first sign. That's the word he uses, sign. Say mayon. This is the first sign that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee to reveal his glory. You, you might remember this other story where there's a royal official and his son is dying and he's from Capernaum and he comes down to Cana because Jesus is in Cana and he says, if you'll just come, my son will be healed, he will live. And Jesus says, just go home, your son is going to live. And so the guy takes Jesus at his word and he heads home, but a servant meets him on the way to say, hey, your son is, has been healed, he's, he's okay, he's fine now. And so the, the guy says, well, what time did he get better? And it was the same time that Jesus said, your son is going to live. And then John says this. John says, this is the second sign. Say, man. That Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. And then when John continues to write his gospel, he says this. He says, you know... When the people saw the signs and miracles and wonders, they began to say among themselves, Is this not the prophet we've been waiting for, the Messiah? So suppose you're in my car, and we're taking a trip together, and there's about four of us. And long about lunchtime, you start to get hungry, and you say to me, Rick, we ought to stop and eat lunch up the road. And so... Almost immediately we see a sign that says Cracker Barrel and we say, that's a great place to stop when you're on the road. And I say to you guys, do you like Cracker Barrel? And you say, yeah. And all of a sudden, I just kind of hit the brakes and pull into the emergency lane and you all say, Rick, what are you doing? And I say, just go with me on this, okay? And I jump out of the car and you reluctantly get out of the car and we run down and I jump over the fence and reluctantly you jump over the fence and we go running out into the field and we find ourselves standing under this sign. And I look at you and I say, Cracker Barrel. And you look at each other with that look that says, he's nuts. 
And you begin to explain to me that there's nothing to eat here. It's a sign. A sign points to the big deal. The sign is not the big deal. The sign points to the big deal. And if you want to eat at Cracker Barrel, Rick, we've got to get back in the car and we've got to drive two miles up the road. And so the writer says, God testified to the revelation and the truth of the gospel by signs and miracles and wonders. It's this unusual occurrence where God puts his stamp on an individual and says, I sent him. Where God authenticates Jesus as his own son, as the Messiah. And so all of those events that happens in the New Testament was God walking up and sitting down on the stand and saying, I will testify that this is my son and the gospel is truth. And how in the world do you expect God to deal with you if you turn your back on that truth or if you drift away from that truth? I um, I had to get some shoes one day, and I went into a to a mall. It was fairly early in the morning, just after ten, just after they had opened, and I'm in a shoe store. and And obviously, the two guys who were in the shoe store, one was the manager, and the other was the regional manor, manager who stopped by. You could just tell by the conversation. I'm over there looking. Hey, buddy, if you need any help, let us know. I said, No, I'm good. I'll look. And so their conversation somehow turned to pastor's kids. And, and they were saying things like, um, the, worst, the worst kids at our church are the pastor's kids. And, and one said, if you line up ten kids and one of them is a pastor's kid, I promise you the worst one of the bunch will be the pastor's kid. The pastor's kid's the one leading all the other kids astray. And they just kind of went on and on about how awful pastor's kids are. At, at some point I decided if I found a great pair of shoes on sale, I wasn't going to buy them. Um, but I, I got ready to leave the store and as I was walking away, one of them says, Hey buddy, could we help you find something? Did you get what you need? Actually, he says to me, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, Oh, yeah. Uh, pray for my kids. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I took it so personal. I remember just struggling with it. And, and I remember praying about it because my attitude was not good. And, and, and I remember why I struggled so bad. Because I didn't want my kids living with that Ideal, or rather, that idea. I, I, I think I didn't want to be a part of the statistic, uh, the stereotype 
To, to borrow language of all people that I knew in my life, I did not want my kids to drift. How well would they have known the gospel? And already at that point in their lives, my girls had, had come to this place of understanding forgiveness of sin. Of all the people I knew in the world, those were the two. That I wanted to stay close. How would God deal with Brittany or deal with Morgan? I thought to myself. Them of all people who have had every opportunity and have been given this great chance. If, if they drifted away. I, I, I think, I think I've, I'm struggling this morning. And the reason I'm struggling this morning is because, is because this is not a let's all hug and, and feel better as we walk out the doors this morning. It, it just doesn't have that tone. I, I feel like an, an older preacher that I remember growing up listening to preach. And, and I remember he would point his finger... And his finger in those years had gotten crooked. And he would say, maybe it's you, young man. And I remember thinking, it's it's me. There's no doubt, it's me. (laughs) But this is that kind of a message. it's It's this warning. I mean, if people were punished in the Old Testament for disobeying the law, how much more are you going to be punished for for just neglecting what Jesus has brought to you? How will God deal with somebody who just drifts away? I used to be there. Not anymore. It's an all-out warning. It carries with it a heavy blow. It's serious business. It reminds us of the justice of God. It's heavy stuff. Why don't we why don't we stand together and um, let me pray for you. So we we come to you this morning, Lord, realizing that uh, that we we're being spoken to directly through your word. And, and and we hear you. Some sometimes we open the Bible and the words are not easy to hear.
And while we understand that you are a friend, we understand that you are just. And so today you've gotten our attention. This great gospel that we've heard, that you are majestic and awesome, and we have sinned, but we can be reconciled through Christ. Let us not forget this great gospel message, this revelation that has come through Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, someone said to me the other day, you, you said something I liked. You said when you get up in the mornings and you, and you read your Bible, after you read your Bible, you pray. And, and so many mornings, after I read my Bible, I pray about what I've read. Sometimes, um, I think that letting the Scripture guide your prayers is a pretty good way to pray. And so, Lord, this morning, this is what I read in your Word. And so help me to apply this to my life today. Help me to do this or this or this or believe this or this or know this. Because this is the truth that I've read today. And so I think many times after we preach the Word of God, um, the best thing we can do is pray. And so I invite you to a time of prayer this morning. Whether you pray where you are or whether you pray at an altar or at a front seat. I think it's good to spend some time talking to God about what God has said to us. And so that's what I challenge you to do today. I I think you can pray about other things as well because when I pray in the mornings, I obviously pray beyond what I've read in the scripture. I pray uh, for people like you. I, I pray about situations in my own life. Sometimes there are things that I need to confess to the Father when I pray. And so this morning, if you want to come to the altar and pray, you can. If you want to pray where you are, you can. But I would challenge you, if you need to pray in response to the scripture that we've shared this morning, then pray in response to the scripture. If there's something going on in your life today that you really want to talk to the Father about, then feel free to spend time talking to the Father about what's going on in your life today. And as always, there will be people here with oil to anoint you if you need to be prayed for, for healing. And this morning, you may say, Rick, I've been hanging around Bethany First Church for a while, or I'm not following Christ, I'm not living a Christian life, and this morning I want to be forgiven of my sin, and I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to give my life to following Him. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to know God. I want everything to be right between me and God, but right now it's my sin that separates us. And I understand that Jesus died on a cross to take my sin upon Himself. And if He is offering me forgiveness of my sin, then this morning I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to be right in my journey with God. And so if you want to come and pray this morning, feel free to do that as we sing together, okay?
continue to let God speak to us as we continue our worship time. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.